Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. You're listening to the sermon cast from People's Church of Vancouver, Washington. You're invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We're located at 6801 East Mill Plain Boulevard in Vancouver, Washington. For more information, visit us at peopleschurchvancouver.org. Now for this week's sermon. But today, I um, want to bring just a message to you that is not, not just that is near to my heart, but this week, I, actually, I, I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit, prompted by heaven, to go into a topic that sometimes whenever you hear it, you know, you just kind of hit the pause button. Or sometimes it's not that you hit the off switch, but it's just like, well, that's for other people and not me. But um, I want to bring this as part of a visionary, part of a casting vision for what this church is. And this church, I believe, has this very heart. And uh, the very DNA of what I'm going to talk about today is already here. And it's not like I'm trying to bring something that you've never heard before. No, if anything, it's um, like when you're out camping and the fire, and it's not even that the fire dies down, but every now and again, you attend the fire. You, you know that. You, it just doesn't burn by itself. You take the poker and you got to jam it up. You take some new wood and you throw it on the fire. How many read Proverbs? Well, then you'll know the verse that says, without, without wood, the fire goes out. You just got to keep throwing the fuel on this thing. And, and uh, I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to this uh, church today, to, to you as an individual, about where we want to go. Titled the, the message, Open Season. And you'll, you'll connect the dots in just a moment. But uh, many years ago, <clears throat> uh, I was a missionary in the Yukon Territory. And, and uh, we went out into the uh, places where nobody else was going then and and uh, a number of times I would go to fishing camps of uh, the Tlingit Indians where no a white person had not been. It's not that they weren't welcome or anything. Just no one had taken the occasion or, you know, gone out to those places. And one of the things that I began to see when, when I was there, I was a lot younger back then and uh, had the strength to go and do that kind of thing. And now I look back at it and think, wow, what a, what a wonderful time of, of life that was watching what the Lord did. But um, I was ministering to groups, family groups usually, extended families of, of mothers and fathers and grandparents and cousins and first cousins, second cousins and all that kind of thing. They were, they were very interconnected in, in family relationships. But I remember so vividly that the opening day of salmon season was totally different than what I had ever experienced down here on the opening day of fishing season. And the difference was is that down here in my experience, the opening day of fishing season was a sport. It was something to go out and, you know, uh, see if you could catch a trophy. Uh, to them, the opening day of salmon season was their livelihood. It was food. It was life. And it was approached entirely differently. And uh, they were very excited, and they would bring, uh, they would float things down these rivers and set up their camps. And, and I mean, it was very dangerous putting out the nets, the gill nets. And uh, they, they thought my name was spelled G-I-L-N-E-T, and that was fine. And, uh, uh, but, um, and, and the whole family would be involved. The men would be out on the boats and the nets and pulling, but then the ladies would be in the in the processing part, which were usually just uh, lean-tos up, and they would be, you know, skinning and, and flaying the fish, and the children would be throwing the fish over the, over the racks where they would be dried or smoked, and the whole family was involved in it. And I remember back that uh, fishing for them 
was exciting, but it was serious business. It was something that uh, if they didn't do, if it was just something to take cash, if it was just about, hey, let's go see who can catch the biggest one, that's what it wasn't, wasn't what it was about at all. It was like, let's see that we can get together corporately uh, enough food for us to make it through the winter. That's what it was really about. And, uh, and they made me a part of, they let me be a part of that. And, um, uh, and I remember uh, having wonderful Bible studies uh, in the evenings. And during that time, it was light almost 24 hours a day during the, the various seasons they were fishing like that. And I remember at night, uh, we would do the Bible studies and the guys would be tired. Everybody would be tired. Um, and they would just kind of flop down. There'd be a, a big fire. We would start. And then I remember going through a study of the Beatitudes with them and the Holy Spirit just, just settling back in those uh, bush camps and fishing camps. And the Holy Spirit began to bring to me that Jesus, when he came to this earth, some of the first people that he looked up and went to in his ministry were fishermen. And it was for much the reason, because the reason they were fishing back then was the same reason the Tlinkets were fishing, and they're still doing it today. It wasn't about sport. It was about the very essence of life. And I want you to go over to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And I'm just going to start reading an account here, and we're going to kind of jump off into this whole thing about um, what, it, what, what the heart of the Lord is and how he wants to incorporate us into this whole idea, this spiritual allegory of what fishing is really about uh, in, in Jesus' ministry was not catching just fish that swim in the water, but catching men and women for the kingdom and for eternity. In Luke chapter 1, verse, or, verse five, or chapter 5, verse 1, it says, And so it was a multitude pressed about him, or Jesus, to hear the word of God, and that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from land, and he sat down, taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. I love the strategy of Jesus. Not only do you need the word of God to impact people, but you need to get right into what their lives are about to impact people. Jesus was teaching and preaching, but now Simon, who Jesus knew what was going to happen in Simon, but at that point, Simon didn't know what was going to happen in Simon. Oh, by the way, Jesus knows what's going to happen in every one of your lives, and most of it you're not aware of as yet, but you will be. And so he sat down and uh, he taught, and then he told him, launch out into the deep. And Simon answered and said, Master, we've toyed all night. We've caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll, I'll let down the net. That is, he was just doing it out of respect having no idea what was getting ready to happen to not only his life, but to the world was with the message that was coming forth. Verse 6, And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners on the other side, uh, on the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Both boats were sinking now. And when Simon Peter saw it, my translation, the light switch flipped on. He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. These guys were in business together. That's what this is saying. They, they bought these boats as a business plan. These weren't boats to go water skiing with or a sports activity. No, this was to make a living. Their job was catching fish. They had, they had bombed out the night before. They hadn't caught anything. They were minding their own business, just trying to get ready for another night. And Jesus shows up and does what Jesus does and ministering and preaching the word. But Jesus never leaves preaching without follow-up. Come on, somebody. And so, uh, Jesus said to Simon in verse 10, do not be afraid. This is the, this is the 
point of the text that I'm uh, wanting to bring out. From now on, you will catch men. And so when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. That to me is the most mind-boggling thing. Here they had the best day ever in their business. What they had bought the boats for, what they had bought the nets for, what they had bought the gear for, and what they, 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 they had done all their work to, to make it work, and it wasn't working so good, but the one thing they had failed to get was Jesus as the fish finder. Jesus was the original fish finder here, and he knew exactly where they're at, and he knew how to get them at what depth, and he said, right there, right now, and drop them down, and he sunk both the boats. How many want to be in business with Jesus? <laughs> but something supernatural happened. They shut the business down that day. Something incredibly supernatural took place that went beyond dollars and cents and accounts and and sales and marketing and processing and all the things that were with that business. Something happened to them. And it wasn't just that um, they were overwhelmed, but I believe what Jesus said to them was a prophetic statement that impacted them to the very core of their being. And he said, don't be afraid, because the reason Peter fell at his knees and worshipped him wasn't because he was um, overwhelmed with the power of Jesus. It was because he was overwhelmed with his inability and his lack and that he was standing in the presence of God. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. Prophetically, he said, from now on, you'll catch men. And really what happened at that moment is Jesus prophesied over every person from that moment on who would say yes to his lordship. And every one of us have received that same prophetic call that they received that day. From now on, you will catch men. And I was saved in a classic Pentecostal church during the Jesus People movement. And, and the Holy Spirit was being poured out. Sunday nights for us were the, with the young people were spend, was spending about an hour and a half or two hours at the altar after the preacher had preached and all of that kind of thing. And bawling and squalling and being on the floor and just having God come and visit and do all those kind of things. But I remember during that initial part, there wasn't a lot about um, uh, teaching and, and responsibility. It was mostly experience, which I love. And it was powerful and it's what we needed. But it wasn't too many years after that, and uh, I ended up over here uh, coming into a group called uh, California Evangelistic Association, CEA, Christian Evangelistic Association, which is now Grace International. And my first point of contact was, a, was the district superintendent, Pastor Reverend John Mall. You would know him as Pastor Gracie's dad and her wonderful mother, Velma. I had never called John and Velma, John and Velma. I always called them, yeah, brother and sister Mall. I never heard them call me Gary. Yeah, that's it. That was back in those days and, and all of that. But I'm going to tell you who first began to teach me about being a soul winner was her dad. And it happened not in a class, not in a church, not in an altar call. It happened in a restaurant. Need I say, how many know where I'm going with this? Uh, you know. And we went out to eat. Uh, Brother Maul picked up the tab because I was the young, busted, disgusted preacher passing over in Portland with three people. And I don't know even what the lunch was about, or it was about, you know, the ministry, of course, and all of that. But I remember Brother Maul had a track and he actually had a number of tracks and, and he began to model to me. I don't think that was, it was just his way. I don't think he was doing it for my benefit at all. But I remember how he gave this young lady a track and how he ministered to her. Now, did she get saved? Not at that moment. Did she get saved later? I suspect she probably did because I believe that the Lord uses the planting of the word and it says his word will not return void. It will accomplish what I sent it to do. And so some of the things I want to address today is that very mindset that, well, it doesn't matter all that much. You can or you can't because most of them aren't going to get saved anyway. That's not the point. The point is this. You were called to be a fisherman. What Jesus uh, was really showing to us here in this uh, chapter was that Jesus knows how to catch fishermen first. 
<laughs> you know what happened when he caught you? He caught you and you were a fisherman. You are uh, now called prophetically from that moment and you were called to be one of those who will catch men. You're not just called and destined to be in heaven. You're called and destined to take people with you to heaven. And that's what I'm going to be talking about for our remainder of time here this morning and probably in the next uh, 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 you know, week or two. But I, over in verse 10, I want to give you a quick little synopsis. Then we're going to go to another, uh, another book and a few verses, and then we'll begin to pray. Uh, in verse 10, it says that Jesus, that, that okay, so Simon was astonished. They were all amazed at what had happened. Uh, James and John, the sons that were partners with Simon, and Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, because Simon had fallen before his knees. Now down and was, was, was fearful. The first thing that happens is that Jesus removes the fear of catching nothing from you. I want to address that today because sometimes it can be just pushed to the sidelines. Well, it doesn't matter if I am a witness for Christ or it doesn't matter if I become involved in talking to people about Jesus because most of it, there's not going to be much happen anyway. Jesus wants to remove that doubt from you. Now, they saw immediate response to uh, them casting the nets, the fish loaded the nets. But he said, don't worry. He said, from now on, you'll catch men. Uh, The process of catching men is different than catching fish because it is not just a one-time put the hook or drop the net. It's a process where the Holy Spirit is involved of drawing people. And you, as being a soul winner, realizing it's open season to go and bring people to Christ. The season is open. It opened at the day of Pentecost, I believe. I believe it opened at the conception of Mary being uh, conceiving Jesus and then John the Baptist and Elizabeth's womb, and there was a whole new thing getting ready to come on. You know, over um, uh, over in the book of Proverbs 30, it says, he who wins souls is wise. Y'all read Proverbs uh, here around here. Why? Because of Brother Maul. And uh, uh, he who wins souls is wise. That, that Proverbs chapter 30, I think it's around verse 1 or so, somewhere around there. I can't remember the verse exactly, but that's a tremendous prophetic scripture of the ministry of Jesus. Why? Well, because back 700 to a thousand years before uh, the New Testament, that's when that proverb was written. No one really knew what it meant. He who wins souls is wise because that hadn't been yet really uh, incorporated into the old Jewish way. And, the, um, you know, they had a way for people to come in and become part of the nation and all of that. But that verse is speaking specifically to the future about soul winning. He who wins souls is wise. Why is it? Why is it wise? Because uh, if you're out winning souls, why? Because you're partnering with the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus was showing here, is that wisdom is partnering with him, with, with him and what he desires to do. He's going to build the church, and building of the church isn't about buildings and land and properties. Building the church is about people and souls and salvation and deliverance and healing and miracles. And Jesus said, you, from now on, will catch men. What's it like to go fishing with Jesus? The law of the kingdom for fishing is this, you will catch how many have ever fished in the natural and never caught anything? <laughs> Probably anybody who ever wet a line uh, had, has had that experience. Yet in the spiritual realm, fishing with Jesus, fishing for men is entirely different. It's, it's not that you see the results right at the moment, but every time you cast the end and that casting the invitation, casting the line is the invitation. God has something for you. And I remember uh, reading John Wesley's journal. I don't know if you have ever read it. It's a, quite a long book and covers 50 years of ministry of of Wesley as he preached all over uh, America and England. And uh, he preached on an average five to six times a day for close to 70 years. Can you believe such a thing? Five to six times a day for 70, his whole life was given in it. I remember reading parts of it where he said, they tried to bash my brains out today, but glory to God, a hundred were saved. There's something along that line. And you just go through day after day after day. And and uh, what Wesley came and what it impacted my life with was that if you do what God asks you to do about what he's done in your life, it's his will to do that in others' lives. 
And so, uh, what's it like to go fishing with Jesus? Well, I want you to go over to Acts chapter 10. Here, remember, uh, this was with Simon, right? Peter. Well, now, it's a number of years later, not too many years later. Jesus had ascended, of course. Pentecost had come. The church was birthed. Uh, uh, Acts is really, could be titled Luke, the uh, uh, second Luke. I mean, Luke is uh, the gospel that uh, Luke the physician wrote. But then he, he wrote uh, the book of Acts, or he wrote the historical account of what was happening in the, in the New Testament church. And it was just a continuation from his gospel into, now this is what the Holy Spirit is doing after, after Jesus went back to heaven. And here, he's giving the account of Peter. And it has to do with God working in Peter about what Jesus prophesied to him on that day on that fish shore when he said, you will become a fisher of men. So I want to read it. And I'm not going to have to say much because as we go through it and read it, you'll begin to connect the dots. You will see what's uh, what the process is that's going on. We're going to jump over to Acts 10, starting in verse 3. And it says, about the ninth hour of the day. It's talking about... Uh, a man called Cornelius here. And God was was moving upon Cornelius. He was a Gentile. He was an Italian. And he was a good man. He feared God, but he was not a Christian. That's the setup in the first three first couple of verses. Verse 3, And about the ninth hour of the day, he, Cornelius, clearly uh, saw in a vision an angel of God coming to him saying, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? The first point you need to know about fishing with Jesus is, is that the Holy Spirit is working on people before you ever show up. It's not about, boy, if you'll get bold enough, if you'll get the spiritual laws memorized, if you'll have your track or whatever, you're going to go out and... No, the Holy Spirit is already out there doing what the Holy Spirit does. He's working in people's lives. Angels are working in people's lives right now in Vancouver, getting them ready for somebody to come and say, have you ever heard or thought about Jesus Christ in your life? Yesterday, I was with a group of men. Now, these are men not within the church. They're outside the church. And I know you're wondering right now what Pastor Gary was doing. And I, uh, we're, we're not on video camera, which is good. But you might as well learn right up front what Pastor Gary does on a couple Saturdays out of the month. It's called ballistic therapy. Right now, you don't have any idea what that is. You got it. I am, a, I, for my hobby, I'm a competitive shooter. And that means nothing other than I uh, cost, I spend a fair amount of money making smoke and fire and noise. That's what, and that's about all that comes from it. But, uh, one of the things I love doing with this, um, is, uh, on those Saturdays, there are usually a hundred to 150 men that, uh, 99.9% of them don't know anything about Jesus, but they know a lot about guns. Okay. That's what, and that's what we're there for. So I was down in, in, uh, Albany yesterday and it was a, a Anyway, long story. won't go through it all, but I used to shoot there when I was in Coos Bay. So it was like going home again to the gun range. And so I'm out there, and uh, uh, the RO, the range officer who was running the match that I was going to be a part of yesterday, uh, uh, and, and this is how I know it happened. He engaged me in just casual conversation. Here's the point. When somebody engages you in casual conversation, that's a sign to you the Holy Spirit is working on them. When somebody out of seemingly nowhere or out of the blue or what you weren't uh, considering or anticipating or looking for all of a sudden starts talking to you about the weather or your car or your dog or your barbecue or what, it doesn't matter what the topic is. It's never going to be about God usually to begin with, but it's going to be they're engaging you as a Holy Spirit filled believer who knows the word of God. And they usually don't know anything about God, but yet they strike up a conversation with you. That's what's happening in, in, in Acts 10, 3 and 4. The Holy Spirit is dealing with a man of power, a man of importance, a man of authority, a a military man, a man who has rule and reign over great numbers of people, a man who's under authority in his own life, and he's a good man. He's, he's not a Christian, but he's a good man. Those who are in danger of hellfire are often just like this. They're good people, but they don't know Jesus. But God began to deal with them. Why? Because God loved Italians. God loves every nationality. If you study the book, you'll find 
that there's coming a day when every kindred, every tribe, every color, every language, every uh, imaginable thing that God created in the, in, the, in the species of human beings are going to be there. It's not just going to be white or black or brown or yellow. It's going to be all of us mixed together. Come on, somebody, say hallelujah. And it's not going to be about, oh, this is my genealogy or this is my... No, it's going to be about, thank God we made it to heaven, everybody. Thank God that it wasn't just for Jews or this clan or that clan, but everybody. And so on that whole point, Peter's problem about fishing for humanity is that at that point, as amazing it may seem, you would thought that he would know the Bible well enough, but they didn't have the Bible as we have it now. They had the Torah. They had the Old Testament. But something was stuck in Peter's spirit in that he did not think that Gentiles, specifically Italians, could come in and get what they had already in God. So here's the point. Holy Spirit, angels are dealing with this man Cornelius. And at the same point, Peter is not too far away. And over in verse 29, uh, well, before I get there, uh, 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 in verse 9, it says that the, that uh, Peter went up into the housetop to pray. I'm not going to try to connect all the dots because it gets, it's long and I don't have that much time. Uh, but Peter's praying. And what happened when he was praying <clears throat> is that he fell into a trance. He had a vision. God began to speak to him. And most of you will remember what took place. He had several visions where of a sheet filled with all kinds of animals that were forbidden in the Levitical law for Jews to eat. And he has this vision. The sheet comes down. It has all kinds of creatures in it. And the voice of God says, take and eat. And Peter's like, no way. I, Lord, I haven't eaten anything. I haven't eaten anything unclean in my life. Okay. The sheet goes up. A few minutes later, the sheet comes back. This time filled with a whole bunch of other stuff that he wasn't supposed to eat. Take and eat. Oh, Lord, that's even worse than the first sheet. I mean, I don't know. I'm just kind of, but it, it goes on and on. And, and Peter's saying, Lord, I can't do this. And the Lord said prophetically to him, he said, don't you call unclean what I call clean. What's the point? God is telling him not about eating of things. God has moved from the Levitical patterns of the old and bringing him into, into the spiritual reality of the new. Something you need to understand, and I love, I'm going to take, I don't know, in the next few months, I'm going to teach you about the marvelous proof in the scripture of the reality of God, just by what the word of God is. Because the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. And the truth of the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. This is the truth that was hidden in the Old Testament, and now it's going to be revealed. And the re- revelation is, is that God loves everybody. And so, through all of this, um, God speaks to him, and he said, listen, uh, a man's going to come soon, and his name's Cornelius. And and now I want to pick it up in verse uh, 29. Uh, so that's what had been happening to Peter's life. Cornelius shows up. They let him in. He realizes, oh my goodness, Cornelius is a Gentile. Cornelius is a military man. I mean, there's all kinds of things going on here we could get into if we wanted to. But in verse 29, now Peter's speaking to Cornelius. Verse 28, he said, you know how unlawful it is for Jewish men to keep company or go to uh, one another of another nation. Peter felt he was just doing what the Bible said to do, what he, what he sensed, what his version of the Torah was at that point. God was adding something more. He's revealing the truth hidden in the Old Testament. But God shown to me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Verse 29, therefore, I came without objection ex- as soon as I was sent for. And so what is the reason you sent for me? What was going on is the Holy Spirit will remove your questions or wonderings whether uh, God will use you to minister to people. Never doubt God's willingness to use you to minister to somebody that doesn't know him. Well, they'll be like I am. No, they won't. There couldn't have been any person culturally or socially more different than Cornelius uh, than uh, for Peter to minister to than, than Cornelius. Cornelius. Or Peter had a problem, and God was dealing with him. For, uh, Peter, he kind of acted one way around the Jewish believers. <laughs> Paul called him out on it later on, by the way. 
And then he acted, he acted different around the Gentile believers. Specifically, when he, Peter was around Jewish believers, he said, yeah, they, those Gentiles, they need to get circumcised. What circumcised is what circumcision anyway? It's a truth of the New Testament hidden in the Old Testament. It's not about circumcising the, the flesh. That's one of what it was pointing to the circumcision of the heart in the New Testament. And so God was ministering to Peter to bring him out, to bring him out of that. And so what's that, what that leaves you with is that on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 were saved, you know those 3,000 that got saved? They were all Jews. They were people that were of his kind. Now God's bringing him out. Why? Because God loves everybody. Say that to your neighbor. God loves everybody. See, one reason the devil loves prejudice is not because to create tension in the races. It's really to keep the races separated so that he doesn't, the devil does not look forward to the day when every kindred, every tribe, every nation, every color, every language will be are surrounding around the throne of God, giving praise and glory to Jesus Christ. He wants to prevent that. Uh, we need each other regardless of, of, of DNA and heritage and all of that kind of stuff. Some of the most wonderful times I've ever had in the Christian faith have been on the horrible island of Haiti. A most repressive, repressive place you've never imagined. But on that, in that place, uh, some of the most wonderful believers I've ever been around. And, uh, uh, and it, it really kind of did the same thing in me that God just loves everybody. And so the Holy Spirit was working and removing this doubt. And I want to, want to minister to you for just a moment. God wants to use you to love people that don't know Him. And He wants to remove that doubt from you. Don't be afraid to interact with them. <laughs> there have been circumstances where I've been afraid of the people that the Lord put me in contact with. I mean, I feared for them, or feared being around them. <sighs> Another thing. Oh, I know the shooting, yeah. I won. That's what happened. She's saying, what happened? I... <laughs> Richard, the RO. What brings you to these parts? I got to share the testimony of you all, of her husband, your pastor, of this church of the love of Jesus, of the graciousness of God, of the goodness of God, of God moving pieces on the chessboard, how he loves it. And Richard, by, by the way, it's no accident that you're my RO today because it was just he and I in this station where it's usually got about 15 guys, uh, you know, uh, uh, loading guns, getting ready. And it was just he and I for about 10 minutes. Oh, it was a setup, okay? It was a setup, yeah. That's what it was. In the 10 minutes, because I knew what was getting ready to happen in the 10 minutes, I didn't give him the full counsel of God, but I told him how much Jesus loved him and how he had a plan for him and how, how this precious pastor that had passed, and now his life would still continue on me sharing the testimony with you, uh, Richard. And uh, my wife and I came up to be the pastors here now and all of this stuff. And he just stood, he just, he just, he didn't take a step back, but he's like, that's the most wonderful story I think I've ever, and I said, Richard, Jesus loves you. That's why I'm here today. Oh, we had a wonderful match, by the way, from that time on. I mean, Richard was my friend. I can't say that he got saved because he didn't uh, in, in, at that moment. But I do know this. Uh, I planted the, the bait, the hook with the bait on it. it was firmly planted. He's starting to nibble on the bait. There's going to be somebody come along. Maybe I'll be there the next time. Somebody's going to set the thing. That's what, that's what the whole story is about. And so the Holy Spirit is working before you ever show up. Uh, you've got to, you've got to just look for the opportunity. Stop questioning whether that, oh, that's the evangelist's job. No, the evangelist's job is to just teach you so that you'll go do it and be a soul winner. I'm going to take two more minutes and wrap this up. Verse 45. You'll be amazed at the catch. What amazes uh, me is to see how many uh, people that actually get saved that I never expected to get saved. <laughs> now, the opposite goes too. There are some that I thought, boy, they're going to, and they never did. But sometimes it's the, 
It's the worst drug addict. It's the, it's the biggest sinner. It's the guy that you done, that you think would never come to Christ. And you plant this little word, Jesus loves you. And they end up saying, yes, I'm going to serve him. I was a security officer at Bay Area Hospital in, in, um, Coos Bay. And, um, uh, we had hired several other past, uh, staff pastors and, and just the finances were thin. So I took a job and, and I love doing that kind of thing. And anyway, long story short, so I'm working security at this hospital. And, um, uh, and uh, long story short, but there was a, a man there. I'm going to change the name, okay, to protect the innocent, okay, because I didn't ask him permission. But we'll just say his name is Tom, or, or, or we'll just say it's Tom. But um, I was working a night shift one night, and we had been together now for several months on this security detail. And I mean, hospitals are crazy places. I was actually, um, uh, part of what we did was we worked in the psych ward, the psychiatric ward, and so one night a young lady was brought in from Reesport and she was drugs and she was high and there was two police officers and there was Sam and I and there was a couple of male nurses in there and this little lady about 90 pounds was was beating us all. True story. <clears throat> and we were in a locked room and no way out. And then it got really scary. She started telling these officers what they were doing in their lives. She started speaking, and you, and your grandfather did, and you're doing this right now. And I mean, big, burly men with, with duty belts, with guns and mace and electric shockers, took a step back. My partner's name was Tom, right? Yeah, whatever. He was there. And, um, and she went around all of us about two or three times, and each time she'd come, and she would, her eyes would catch me, and she would just move on. About third time around, she stopped, and she didn't say anything, but I said, what you're doing won't work on me. It changed instantly what was happening in that locked room. She sat down on the, on the bed. One of the officers got a hand up and restrained her. And then they took and began to do what they needed to do in medical care and all of that. So Tom and I go back to the security office. It was quiet for about the first hour. It was about 1 o'clock in the morning. And he looked at me and he said, well... I guess it's time for me to spill my guts. <laughs> and I thought, oh, Lord, what have you got me into? And he said, I'm a backslidden Assembly of God pastor, running from God. And he said, would you hired on? I didn't know if you were going to be the biggest joke or if you were the real thing. He said, I was honestly hoping you'd be the biggest joke because if you weren't, I knew God was after me. That was his words, not my word. And we took the rest of the night shift and we began to, I just began to minister and he began to pour out his pain and his hurt. He was from Vancouver, Washington hiding out in Coos Bay, Oregon. His words. I moved to the place where I thought no one would ever find me. But God knew where I moved to. And he sent you here. God wants to use you. Not because you're so special. It's because they are. He loves them. And he'll send you. Sam became a very close personal friend. We still correspond. Uh, Tom became a very close personal friend. <laughs> we so, um, anyway, a long story short, and I've gone too long here, but a long story short, it's a tremendous, powerful testimony of what the Lord did. It changed the whole, you know, I think there were 27 officers. It changed the whole sense of the unit, what was going on, because Sam got saved. And he stopped smoking, and he stopped vaping, and he stopped, not because, I mean, just not because I was, because the Holy Spirit began to deal in his life. He came to our church in the theater. He was there when the new CEO or president of the hospital showed up one day, and he came up and he said, Pastor, do you know who that is? And I said, yeah, I do. I said, see if there's anything he needs. And we, I could just go on and tell you a story. It's, I'm going to tell you, it's open season, church. 
The season is ripe for people to get saved. This church has empty chairs in it, not because there's not enough Christians. No, this, this church has empty chairs in it because he wants new people to come in and get saved and fill these chairs. That's what our job is. It's open season. We need to go out and start doing some fishing and, and not just recruiting. It's not about filling a church. It's about being amazed. You will be amazed at how the Lord will show up and when you get involved in that your life is to catch people for Jesus. Last part I want to wrap up with in verse 48. So the story goes on. Cornelius gets saved. His whole household gets saved. And while they're leading them in Jesus, you go read it. I don't go read it on your own. The Holy Spirit shows up and they all start speaking in tongues. They get baptized in the Holy Spirit right there in the, in the, in the household. And Peter says, well, he's still, God's still dealing with him about the sheet thing. And he said, well, I guess, you know, uh, we know for sure that God loves Gentiles and Italians because they're speaking in tongues. We thought it was just us Jews and all of that. And it was just confirmed about what was, uh, the, that the spirit of God was going on and, and working in their lives just like he wasn't everybody else. But over in verse 48 and, um, and so Peter says that, well, verse 47, can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? God's still working on him. God's still, he's got the haves and the wees and all that. He's still working on, on Simon and Peter. And verse 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Now listen, then they, that is Cornelius and his family, asked them to stay a few days. I want to, I want to stop. I'm going to close with this. You got to spend time with the catch. In the kingdom, you need to set in rows from time to time. Good on Sunday morning. You're setting in rows and that's, and for the teaching, preaching, worship and all that. But there's also in the kingdom where you need to set in circles where you need to be a part of a small family-type gathering, whether it be on Zoom or whether it be in a women's ministry with the tables or whether whether it be whatever. And uh, uh, so what happened, it says, then they asked him, that is Peter, to stay a few days. Discipleship happens in the afterglow, in the staying on in their lives after they've come to Jesus. Now, yeah, there are times when you get saved and you never see them again and all of that, but there's that process. And so uh, this officer that I led to back to the Lord, that backslidden assembly God preacher, you know what we started doing with him next week or two? Well, it's guys what guns do. We, I took him up to my favorite spot up in the hills and we started shooting guns and we started doing that. And while we were doing that, I'm talking to him about God and he knows more about the Bible than I do. And we had some glorious time, but it's that spending time. That's where, that's where the mega church and I love mega churches. I have some friends that pastor huge churches, family, you guys that pastor huge churches and those are all great and they're good. But even in those, they're broken down into the small, where the growth comes in people's lives is whenever you're in face to face. House across the table, across the chair, where you're able to look in and see the whites of their eyes. <laughs> this church is very good at that. Thank you. This church has a heritage and a DNA of the small group. We need to incorporate that where it's not just us. And it's, and it's all good that we fellowship. It's good. That's wonderful. I'm not, I'm not taking it. But you know what? We need to start getting, come on. We need to start getting the young in the Lord in those groups. God's, it's open season for them. This is what I want us to do. Let's stand. I've gone way too long and I apologize for that. We're going to wrap up because we're going to have the next church showing up and, and all of that. But, um, uh, uh, this is what I, this is really what I'd like to do. This is not compelling you. If you don't feel comfortable, don't, but I'm going to ask, let's all just come to the front and gather in one. Uh, let's get to where we see the whites of our eyes. Right, come on. Let's just all come down. If, if you don't want to, that's good. And there's no condemnation. There's no, oh, no, the holy ones came down and the other ones didn't No, That's not what it's about. But I want us to come down. We're going to do this as a body together. We're going to commit ourselves to understanding Lord. It's open season for us to go and lead people to Jesus. Lord, help us remove any fear, remove any hesitancy, remove any doubt, Lord, we are open to however miraculous you, you want to engage us in bringing people to Jesus. It's not just about giving them a little track. That's, that's a start for some, but man, sometimes you might be in the locked up room face to face with somebody that you need to see the power of God show up.
I'm going to ask you to just join a hand with that one standing next to you. And we're going to pray. Number one, if there's anybody here and you don't know Jesus, this is your time. And I'm looking around. I think I know everybody here, but I... Mm-hmm. But this is how I want us to pray together. Just repeat after me. Lord, help us to connect with your heart for the lost. Help us to understand you're bringing them. We're just part of it. Lord, I dedicate myself to be a fisher of men, of women, of young, of old, of any race, any color, any background. Use me to let them know how much you love them and your plan for their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now finish by just saying, God, just lay your hand on that one to your left and to your right and say, Lord, anoint my brother, anoint my sister. Just pray for one another. Minister to one another for 30 seconds, then we'll wrap it up. Lord, anoint them this week. Open the doors. Bring the divine uh, intersections with them. Make the divine appointments show up, oh God. And Lord, we're going to be sensitized right now to be uh, willing and able to give a word fitly spoken in due season about the love of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. You're dismissed. Thanks for being patient.